0: what's up everybody welcome back to the active life podcast i'm dr sean Pastuge. i'm your host and today's guest is a legend it's tony blauer everybody if you haven't heard of tony blauer it's because you haven't been in the space long enough you haven't been following combat sports whatever i'm going to introduce you to him today Tony runs a program called the No Fear, K-N-O-W Fear Program. And the idea behind what Tony does is he teaches people self-defense from a reactive standpoint. What I mean by that is he's doing it from the neurological place of what do we do when we are in a situation where we need to defend ourselves? I've heard Tony interviewed on many other podcasts and I wanted to make a very strong point not to do the same interview that you've heard with him over and over again if you've heard the other interviews. So on this interview, you're going to hear more from Tony about where a lot of his stuff is derived from than maybe you're used to hearing on other shows. You're going to hear less of the same stories that you've heard on other shows, and you are definitely going to be able to change your perspective about what you should do, what you shouldn't do in potentially dangerous situations from listening to this episode. I know you're going to enjoy it, so I'm going to let you get to it. Tony Blauer, everybody. Okay, the legendary Tony Blauer. Welcome to the Active Life Podcast.
1: Dude, you're embarrassing
0: me already. I'm sorry. I, I, legendary
1: Tony Blauer.
0: You are kind of legendary. Listen, the, 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 the facts of the matter are when I say to somebody, think of a martial artist who has been around since the 70s doing this stuff, teaching at the highest level, everybody immediately thinks of an Asian guy. And I'm like, no, 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 Tony Blower. <laughs>
1: so, so you're hired as my publicist, and I want you to adopt me because I feel so much better talking to you. Let's end the show right now. Perfect. Uh, perfect. This is great.
0: Yeah, well, but no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, you know, it's the way that you approach self-defense almost as self-offense is is so interesting to me because – You watch these movies and you meet these people when you talk to Navy SEALs and high-level trained fighters and things like this. And you're like, man, it would be so cool to be able to do the things that that guy knows he can do at any time. And then you ask yourself, do I really want to do the things necessary to get to that point? Mm -hmm. And almost always the answer is, nah, I'll I'll just not. Right?
1: Yeah. And and it's funny. And it's one of the reasons why we have, you know, superhero icon action stars and and we've got, you know, Rambos and and like like these these uh, franchise movies where we live vicariously through through these things. Now, here's an interesting thing that has caused super um, huge amounts of controversy in my career is. I have been very outspoken saying, Hey, we practice all these things, but when you actually watch CCTV or smartphone or body cam or helmet cam of actual confrontations, you never see any of the stuff that people practice when it comes to the mono, mono, hand to hand stuff. And so I've been outspoken for just a little bit over 40 years. and I, and I say that I mean facetious because it's been like decades that I've been saying like we need to reverse engineer fighting to support what's actually going to happen. And I don't want to derail where you're going there. I'm just super serious about,
0: I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Go
1: for it. So I thought you were leaving the room there for a second, but yeah. the, um, but no, but you know, I got into, you, you know, when I saw Bruce Lee 1973 Enter the dragon, like i became like this um, like fanatic i mean 7 days a week training and then i had confrontations as a teenager and i'd get into like a fight and it would be like this like it was fucking bullshit what was happening fear and anxiety and breathing and tunnel vision and and like shitty grabbing and, and, and rabbit punching and and then i and i was always deeply introspective and I'd be lying there staring at the ceiling as a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old, 19-year-old going, what the fuck just happened? Where's all my training? And I was a good athlete. I was competent at, at tons of shit. I just I just want your listeners to understand that 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 there's this idea of I will I will train because I want to get this good at at this system these I want to be able to have these fine complex motor skills and develop this skill set and and then I'm here to burst the bubble and saying look in a high-stress situation what you're ultimately gonna do is something that's primal gross motor and congruent with the expression of power balancing with fear in the moment of fuck that was close I hope I survived <laughs> yeah Does that so, makes sense
0: oh totally I mean look it's I, I remember The last real fight that I was in, I was in college. And I walked these guys out of a party. It was at my own house. It was a big party in my house. I walked these guys out. I'm like, look, I'm going to be respectful. You have to leave. You've been making these girls uncomfortable. But I don't need to kick you out and make a scene. Let's just go out the back door and you guys can leave. So or you, you, to one person. I didn't know there were others. So I I keep saying you guys. I found out after the fact. I walk outside and this guy from behind me, grabs my arms and the guy in front of me punched me in the face three times and now mind you my fight training was like two years of high school wrestling that's it Mm -hmm. I didn't have any skills and I'm like before I even realized I got punched in the face three times I was like okay now I don't know what I'm supposed to do so I guess shake this guy off of me and try to tackle this guy and scream for somebody else to come into the backyard while I figure out what the hell's going on there's nothing right about it
1: and, and 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 in that case, there too. And this is the, this is the thing that 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 uh, a couple of years ago I started, and I'm always thinking about how can I articulate things better because my goal, like yours, very much like your company, is how do we enhance health, sustainability, resilience. And to use like different jargon nomenclature, I'm just trying to make people safer. I don't care if they're jiu jujitsu, taekwondo, no training, boxing. I, I wanted people to realize like, because I've worked with everyone from tier one units all the way down to women and women's shelter and everyone in between, what I've noticed is that there's a, there are commonalities between uh, why something happened and what was the switch that got the person back into into the fight and one of the things like to talk about your story is your relationship to force on force was the, the your, your neurons and your situational awareness and the myelinization of the training was in a wrestling environment so you have absolutely zero instincts and intuition other than natural survival stuff, like something's wrong here. But even there, what you were doing was beautiful as far as deescalation and doing the right, taking the high road. And you think it's going to go, but you don't realize this one guy actually has two or three guys. And, and maybe you're, you know, uh, experimenting with some uh, adult beverages that night or some other, no. you know, uh, mind, mind altering <laughs> substance, but you're out there in the dark <laughs> You know, you made your little bit buzz going, and you're thinking, I'm being pretty cool. This is working out good. You know, I'm doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden, like boom, you get hit. The thing that people don't take into account when I, so I mostly train trainers now. I work with people who want to teach a behaviorally based approach to self defense is I tell them whatever psychophysical response time you're testing in your dojo, in your octagon, in your in your uh, garage gym, does not take into account the psychophysical override of a true stimulus, right? Uh, and so even if you knew what to do, guy goes to punch you three times in the head, you zig and you zag and you bob and weave, the fact that you didn't know what was gonna happen means there's a there's gap time between stimulus and response. You still need to catch up to the actual event. And people don't even think about that or practice that.
0: Oh, I had to catch up because I didn't zigzag or bob. I just got- right, of course
1: not. And, 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 and my point, bro, is, is that you can't because you don't know. Because if I had whispered in your ear just as you opened the kitchen door to go out the back, Sean, they're gonna sucker punch you. There's gonna be an ambush. You would have stopped in the kitchen and and pushed the guy out or paused, got your back to a wall, and maybe called a couple of your buddies over. Mm-hmm. Like if you knew there was going to be that's, what, that's the thing when the contrarian in my seminars always says, yeah, but how did I know? That? You don't know. They call it an ambush because it's an ambush.
0: Well, what, I don't understand, and I, I do have something I want to get to, but what? Why would somebody be a contrarian at a seminar? I never understand that. Like I'm coming goofy? to your seminar. What's that? Isn't that it goofy? It's crazy. Like my, a concept that I like to live with is I'm going to believe what an expert or somebody who I deem to be an expert or somebody who I pay for their opinion, I'm going to assume for a full month of my life that they're a hundred percent correct. And I'm going to wear everything that they told me to wear for a month. And after a month I'm going to evaluate how did that feel? Are there things on that that I want to keep and things that I want to get rid of, but right. who would pay to come to a seminar and be like, nah, it's wrong.
1: People who don't have self-awareness. So situational awareness in life is intrinsically connected to your own self awareness. So you meet, you know, somebody and and there's always somebody that I meet that goes, so I like what you're saying, but you know, sometimes shit just happens. Like, like every Friday night I get in a fight. It doesn't matter where I go, you know, there's somebody always it's just my face. They don't like my face. And I'm going, this guy has no self-awareness. You don't realize you're a prick, or you don't realize you're an asshole, or you don't real so the contrarian doesn't know they're a contrarian. Like why would you be proud of that? And there are people you can actually see that I'm sure you've had it in your practice, like the person there with their arms crossed. And its body language is 60% of communication. Everyone else is taking notes and there's this one guy sitting there with his arms crossed. And then you go, you see the hand come up, yes, Mr. Contrarian. (laughs) Um, I don't think people know, and and some people it's a badge, but there are people who love to argue about being right about their failure. I mean, I've had people in a class where I go, and this is the only thing you can do, it's the life-saving movement that you got to do. And the person will go, yes, you know, put their hand up, and I'm like, yes. They go, like this works right now, but I think if this was a real confrontation that I wouldn't remember this and I would just I would just get killed or raped or murdered or whatever. And I never say to them, Okay, let's go back to the fear management part and make sure you caught that because I think you're missing something there. The first thing I'll always say is, Sir ma'am, do you realize that you're arguing to be right about your death? You're an accomplice in your murder or your abduction. Don't be an accomplice in that scenario. And I'm, what I'm trying to do is, is, is kind of like create not a, a response, but a reaction in their brain. And then maybe they get, they, they, it opens their mind to, okay, what are we actually discussing?
0: Well, right. It goes to the point of the person who says, "I'm not confident." You're like, "You're sure you're not confident about anything?" Yeah, no, I'm I'm not confident. Like, you're absolutely positive that there's, you have no confidence. No, I'm sure, I have no confidence. So in any situation, right? And you keep going. You're like, "You're pretty confident about that." Right, right, you're, right. It is. You're confident
1: about your insecurity. Yes. Right. No. Um. Yeah. No. I I get the the these the study of mindset and fear management fascinates me and it's like if i had a choice right now so i've got a a whole other program that i've been kind of like curating and cultivating called the no fear seminar and no fear is spelled k-n-o-w right Mm -hmm. and and if you said to me look you've been teaching self-defense for 43 years you're obviously very passionate about it it's it's i wake up in the middle of the night thinking about drills and ideas and i'm still you know, rewriting things. And, 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 uh, you know, we have like, like it blows my mind that here we are four decades later and I'm still researching and coming up with, with, with new stuff. And, um, but if you said to me, you have to pick today, you can continue teaching self-defense or you can only teach your no fear seminar, which is just a lecture. It's not even about actual mono, mono, you know, the hand to hand stuff. I would pick the no fear.
0: Well, is yeah. that because is that because the advantage in a con- in a confrontational situation goes to the person who acts the fastest?
1: Yeah, it's the person who manages their fear that. Now, you know, at the end of the day, like I always make a joke. Like, let's say you're an amazing driver and I'm an amazing driver, and we challenge each other to a demolition derby contest. Right. And you're like the, you know, the most amazing like East coast driver and the most amazing. And we draw vehicles out of a hat and you get a Prius and I get a Hummer. It doesn't matter anymore how good a driver you are. Cause size matters when there's a collision. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm not, you know, one of these like foo foo psycho babble size doesn't matter. Size absolutely fucking matters. Uh, but if, if we're going to measure attributes, the person who can manage their fear is going to be the most self-actualized and deliberate when they move. And so there have been like serial killers who have lost fights to people who were more intense, like the person who, who fought off uh, um, uh, Albert DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler. Or the first, you know, people who fought off, uh, I, I knew the cops that fought off uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, right? Now, there are other people that didn't fight off Jeffrey Dahmer, and he ate them, right? But he attacked these two detectives in his kitchen when we went to interview him.
0: Really? And they
1: described to me, they said, like, that was one of the most intense fights they ever had. Why? Because they were fighting a cannibal, Right. But at some point, if one of those detectives said, you know, I, I can't beat a cannibal, this guy wants to eat me, right? You know, And this is like graphic and weird and morbid, but it, it comes back to, uh, and you've heard me say this before, and, I, and it's plastered on my website, that fear throttles everything we do from who we talk to, therefore who we marry, how much money we make, where we live, how much weight you lift, and whether or not you protect yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you we've had people come to our workshop. We had a girl come one time in particular who came because a reporter came to report in our workshop and she was the reporter's friend. And we're like, do you want to participate? She's like, Oh, I can't. My doctor told me I'm not allowed to deadlift more than 55 pounds. Nothing over 55 pounds. I have this back problem. Never allowed over 55 pounds again. We're like, well, if there was ever a room to test if that was true or not, I feel like this is the one. Right. Are you interested in trying? Sure. You know, I'm, getting really straight to the point. It was a longer conversation. So right. she tries to make a long story short. I think that day she deadlifted 205 pounds. Nice reps. Right. And now she's a candidate to be on the United States skeleton team in the Olympics. And part of the test to do that is a one rep max power clean. So like Crazy. The, the fear that could, if we didn't overcome that fear that day, her right. life could be totally different. So I'm
1: with yeah, you. Yeah. It's, 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 and, and it's everything. And you have a, you have a, 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 an intuitive and natural uh, way to do that. And that's a gift that you have. And, and, and it, it needs to be explored more by other people, especially anybody who has an accidental, incidental, or deliberate mentoring, coaching, parenting role. Because we, you know, not to be, you know, cliche, but we accidentally have conversations with ourselves or other people where we say things like, yeah, that would be nice, but, or, you know, I can't do this, or that's for other people, and and it changes your life.
0: Well, so that, that, I mean, you couldn't have teed up my next question for you better. My father grew up in Brooklyn, and, I mean, in times of race riots, in times of he was getting in fights all the time because he just had to defend himself day to day. And so he learned martial arts from a young age, uh, and he – tried to teach them to me. And I wasn't, I frankly, I just wasn't really into it. It, it was the hokey karate thing. And I was like, I'm not into this. And then I remember I was maybe seven or eight years old. And I watched him get in a fight with a guy who ran across a little league field to fight my dad. Wow. And I was like, Oh, wow. My, my dad just took out three guys in front of like he was standing there and this guy ran after him and maybe he did something to provoke it I don't know I was like eight but I watched him take three guys out and then the cops came to the house and arrested him so I'm like okay my father might know what's going on when it comes to this. that's a badass maybe yeah yeah, maybe but um so I'm in seventh grade and in seventh grade our schools come together so picture a district of a bunch of different elementary schools coming together to make a seventh and eighth grade school I was like 90 pounds, tops. But I was a cocky kid because I was a decent athlete. For whatever reason, the 200-pound eighth grader named Anthony, who was like captain of the football team, the bully in school, wanted to beat me up. Word got to me, and I got scared. So I left school. And I was so embarrassed and powerless That I left to have left school that I was like, I found myself in my bedroom crying. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why do I feel so powerless? And my father told me, he's like, look, you have a choice. You're afraid of what will happen, but you don't really know what's going to happen. So walk up to Anthony and tell him you heard he wants to beat you up and let him know that now is his chance. And he's either going to win and beat you up and no one's going to be surprised or a 90 pound seventh grader is going to hurt him really bad. And it's going to be very embarrassing. So I'm like, okay, that's going to be scary. I go to school the next day, I find Anthony. And it didn't come out like that at all. Right. Right? But it came out, I'm like, hey, I heard you want to fight me. Uh, uh, so you want to fight? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, nah, we're good. And then I was almost yeah. more mad at myself, but it was, right. okay, I've overcome that fear. Right. I never wanted to be in that situation again, and that's why I joined the wrestling team. I found like that was, that was going to be my thing around right what is your advice to people who haven't had maybe that situation? So they live in fear of that threat every day.
1: Right. It's, it's, first of all, uh, you know, I want to meet your dad. What a, what a, a cool, uh, just the, the wisdom. So there's a slide in our program, uh, where we say, and again, this is a, like more trainer language, but I'll, I'll 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 say it as it is, and then I'll I'll layperson it. Don't imbue your opponent with skills they haven't yet proven. Yeah, <laughs> and we talk about the We talk about the psychology of intimidation. It's when I'm visualizing what you're going to do to me instead of what I must do to you. Yeah, and and you know when I share that with people, I get goosebumps now, and I've been saying that for thirty something years. Is I tell people you know, Hey, how many of you have been intimidated in your life? You know, put your hand up and everyone's hand in the cloud. I did have 200 people in a room or two people in a room. And I go, why do you intimidate yourself? And they're like, what do you mean? Intimidate? Why would I intimidate? Well, if I removed the stimulus that caused the intimidation, are you still there? So Anthony's not there, but you're intimidated. You're in your room, but I have to go back in time to remove the original stimulus. But it's because what you heard, Created a movie in your head that involved you as an extra in your life instead of the instead of you being the star in your life. I'm an extra. This is where I get killed off in my own in my own life movie, right? Yes. And so this is why I said earlier, like my No Fear seminar, that that I've so I've studied violence for decades, and and I can talk to like this cop who's in a gutter fight. The guy's trying to kill him, and then this, you know, out of shape. Uh, uh, overweight, you know, middle-aged woman who's also, you know, guys, you know, trying to uh, kill or rape or whatever. And both of them decide they don't want to die and start to fight back, but they're not going, Oh my God, I got to do jujitsu right now. Oh, I should be doing Taekwondo right now. Oh, I need to get to my, you know, hidden improvised. They just change their mindset they go to a point where there's suddenly fear isn't a factor and they're using, if they are using fear, it's a fuel, it's not this weight. And so that's why I say like, like at the end of the day, if I can teach people the neural circuitry of fear and how to understand the fear loop in their brain and flip that switch, it's all, it's like, it's like you go to use something in the house and you, you blew a circuit. Right. And now you're like, Oh, the internet's down. I can't blow my hair. I can't vacuum. And then all of a sudden someone goes, someone goes click and the light goes and then the house goes ding, 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 and everything powers back on. Mm-hmm. That's the metaphor in our brain that we can blow a fuse in our brain by fixating on this moment where we are totally immobilizing ourselves. So I use two acronyms for fear, false evidence appearing real and false expectation appearing real false evidence appearing real is Anthony's 200 pounds. He therefore can beat me up because size matters. I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm going home. I avoid it. Mm -hmm. The false evidence creates the false expectation. The movie, your dad comes in and says, you don't even know what's going to happen. So you're, if you don't face this son, your life is over because your dignity and self uh, self self-esteem is going to be shaped by this moving forward. Mm -hmm. And he may not have said it in those words, but that was the message he conveyed to you because Because somehow you had the balls to go to school the next day. You didn't wake up going, (laughs) oh, what a coincidence. I'm sick.
0: Yeah. Right? Right? I had a lot of pride.
1: Yeah. And your dad probably said to you, I'm going to beat you up if you don't go. So, uh, you know, um, but somehow he inspired you and you went in there and what you found out that it was false evidence and false expectations that made you go home. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing that, and, and, and I'll, and I'll reshare the two lines that I started this with is don't impute don't imbue your opponent with skills they haven't yet proven. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so you see somebody with cauliflower ears and you go, Oh my God, he must be an MMA fighter. He's probably going to double leg me and fucking ground and pound and mount me. And he may have cauliflower ears from, you know, playing a uh, rugby and has no idea how to fight. Mm-hmm. Right. But we've just go, he must be like 10 and 0. Right. We just decided that he's, um, and then the, 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 line that I share in every class about the psychology of intimidation is that's when we are, we are visualizing what our opponent can do to us instead of what our, what we must do to our opponent. And you can, uh, you know, Kevin Ogar or, you know, who Kevin yeah. Ogar is, so, so Kevin's a good buddy of mine and he actually brought me out to his facility and I ran a course for him and, uh, he called me the day after the seminar saying that he PR'd his bench press. By like 20 pounds now Kevin's a fucking strong guy and you know when he's given me permission to talk about this everyone if you don't know Kevin is uh, Kevin is uh, Google him but uh, you know he's he's paralyzed from an injury where uh, uh, you know uh, the weight uh, hit him in the back uh, you know damages his, his spine and his best lift his strongest lift is gonna be a bench press just by nature of the injury he calls me on Monday after the course holy shit, I PR my bench press by 20 pounds, which is like when you're that strong and you're as mentally tough as somebody like that who's still training after an injury like that, your your PRs are fractional. They're not like 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30. And he has a training he, he also, I mean, he was fit when he got hurt. Right, right. And, and this was years after. So he, he's overcome that doubt. So he says to me, I was lying under the bar thinking about your lecture on fear. Cause in every course we do, we do a, a whole block on the psychology of fear. And he says, I was lying under the bar and I remembered your slide, the psychology of intimidation. He said, I substituted what your opponent for what the bar he said, I was looking at the bar and what it could do to me instead of what I must do to the bar. And when I realized I had been lifting with this additional emotional weight, just like just like the girl who said to you, Yeah, my, my subject matter expert doctor said no more than 55 pounds, you know, uh, that became that became her threshold, right? And so what Kevin did is when he had that realization, like just the realization added twenty pounds to his his lift. It was fantastic. He was so excited when he called me. But it was a mindset thing,
0: right? Yeah, it was well, a, well, so 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 somebody I want people to understand, first of all, this happens in physical situations, like in the gym, physical situations, like in a fight. And it can happen to you in your business where you're like, oh man, if I do that thing, these are the cascade of negatives that might happen. I can't do this thing. Or if I say this out loud on my social media or in a meeting or wherever, I'm going to be made to look like a fool. My career will be over. It's the same thing. Yes. But so, so, is there something that people can do? Is there like a, a practice that they can adopt? Is there a... Yeah. It,
1: it's, it's, it's literally, it's, it's doing my course. No, it's, it's, uh, it's but, understanding. But,
0: but I wouldn't be having you on the show right. if your course didn't have that value, right? I mean, you're coming to Brooklyn in April. I have to figure out how to tell my wife right. I'm going to go.
1: Hey, we, we, and this might be better because I know those dates are a problem with you. We moved it to June, so I don't know if that's better. I'll get, I'll get you those, those, those dates. Cool. Uh, but the, uh, but the, the reality is this and and everyone listening who just went, what a dick. He just, he just infomercial his show and his, <laughs> uh, his uh, course on the show. The I've been teaching people for four decades and some people at the end of a course will go, Oh my God, that was life changing. And some people will go, And now they realize how scared they are and what the journey is. They, but they, but they see what the path is. And it's, it's like the difference between sitting on your couch, 30 pounds overweight, shoving Twinkies in your mouth and, and, and realizing, you know, I should probably work out. And then the day, the decision you make where you actually, you know, put something healthy in your mouth and go for a walk and and start the journey. Um, And so, you know, there's an old martial art, you know, expression that, you know, when the student is ready, the master appears and the, the master's the information. It's understanding that, that you, you remember the no fear company, the yep. adrenaline company, yep. right? And still, it's still around. Great company, great logo. I grew up with a, this, this adversarial relationship with fear my entire life. I was afraid of everything but it was a performance anxiety thing. It was like, so no matter what I did, if somebody said, Hey, you, you uh, you know, you're nine years old, you're going to go talk in front of class about this book you read. Like I, you know, public speaking, right? Oh my God. It could be, um, Hey, we're going to go over to your grandparents' house. You know, you know, what if my grandfather asks me if I, if I read this thing or did this thing? Cause la- I would always look at some, there would always be the first thing that would happen is some, what if, And it used to drive me crazy, but it was, I grew up in the sixties and even today, people don't talk about that, right? You're lying in bed and it's the, what if the, what if the, what if, and, um, the, the, so I got into the cells. I was a a competitive uh, wrestler. I was a competitive skier and I was really a good athlete, but I never won anything because I didn't believe I self-sabotaged everything no matter how good I got. I mean, when I was 13, people thought I was going to, on my current trajectory, I was going to be in the Olympics for skiing. And, and it was always like, man, I can't believe you caught your tip there. I can't believe you're going so fast. You know, and there was always something that happened, but no one ever said, Hey, what are you thinking? Because you're killing it in practice, but in the competition you're skiing too hard. You're always, you know, you, you go off the course cause you're like, you're going too fast. You can't, all of this is say, and just build up this answer. What, when the no fear company came out, I bought all their shirts. And I do this in my, in my, my K w fear talk is like, Oh, I bought all the shirts and guess what? I still had fear. So I thought maybe the printing was defective because I bought these shirts. And what I realized is, is you can't just wear the hat. That's something as, as potent as fear you need to understand it on the inside you need to understand something else that, that if, if we look at concentric circles, that things that I'm okay with at the middle is the middle of this, this ball, the, the nucleus. And that's what we would call our comfort zone. And then just outside of that might be, you look at somebody who can snatch PVC perfectly. They've got the range of motion, they've got the form, they've got the speed. And then you add an Olympic bar and you see their timing change. Well, nothing should change from a PVC pipe to an Olympic bar. And then if I start adding weights, everything starts to change. And what it is really is this person is now visualizing failure right there. They're in their head because they've demonstrated the biomechanics, the understanding, the lift, the grip, all the stuff is there. And, and so I talk about the evolution. When I train trainers, I say there's a technician trainer coach evolution progression technician is I know that like the biomechanics trainer. I know the programming, I understand how to build strength and speed and stamina and coaching the last place. There's a lot of people out there who, who call themselves coaches, but they're really just trainers or technicians. A coach understands how to get in somebody's head. They understand fear. They understand the psychology of intimidation. And, and, but we need to, and the, the, the message here is, there are, because you, you you brought up something way more important than just fighting or just weightlifting or training. And that's life. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid to say, I'm sorry. I'm afraid to say, I love you. I'm afraid to tell my kids that, you know, and it's, it's funny, you know, like I, I do things because of how I was raised differently with my kids. And it's still, there's still a moment where I go like, like I never, my parents loved me. I know that, but I don't ever remember them saying goodnight. I love you. We just grew up in a different time. It was like, go to bed. Oh mama, get in your room now. Right. Mm -hmm. And I actually, every night and my kids are all grown up and out and I got one daughter who's, who's still in the house. I still walk up and I'll go to my room and there's Olivia's room and her doors closed and I'll pause and I'm pausing because it's not instinctive because of how I grew up and I walk over and knock on her door and I say, good night, sweet. I love you. Mm-hmm. I, I do it and I've done it her whole life, but it's, it's, you know, I think to do it. I've got to still, and I want your listeners to understand how deep this is. That the way, like the, what your dad did for you, changed how you handle future confrontations.
0: Yeah,
1: right. And you, and you realize it now, maybe as your self awareness develops. But you know, we come back to your question. And I know I've been, I haven't even breathed yet, and I've been talking for ten minutes straight. That's <laughs> well, ha- why I have you on because I didn't want ha- to stay quiet. How do people? How do people? manage fear in their life is one is the, the, the obvious, like the, 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 the fake real answer is you got to look at fear differently. You got to see fear as a friend. Fear as a fuel that fear is a signal and a symbol for you to get to know something about yourself. And I'm not talking about cavalier stuff like, Oh, I'm afraid of heights. So I should jump off a uh, building with Andy right. stump and, and, you know, and, and no, I'm afraid of, no, listen, I'm afraid of heights too. And I went skydiving twice as a, as a internal experiment because I was also the guy that was talking about this. I had to do something extreme. Can I, can but, I, can I help? Can yeah. I keep your
0: point here for a second? Yeah. So I heard a phenomenal expression, and then I actually want to toot my own horn and tell you what I do with my daughter because I think okay. I like it. Please. A phenomenal expression that I heard. You're not afraid of heights, you're afraid of falling. Nice. And it's the idea of like the height doesn't scare. It's the yeah. idea of what would happen if the height became dangerous, which it doesn't have to be. Right. Right. So I thought that was a really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No. And
1: it's, and it's, and, it, and it's really good. And, and let me tell you another daughter story, not to one up you, but just to tell you how great our daughters are. I'm in Europe with my daughter many years ago and, and she's climbing on, it was like a, like monkey bars, but it was like for teenagers. It wasn't like now, you know, uh, uh the world's so pussified that monkey bars are made out of foam and there's foam on the ground and, and everyone's safe. And, and I get that. And as a parent, but this was like some old, old set in England where the paint was worn off of it. You know, it'd been there for so many years and she was up on the top. I don't know, whatever you call it, like the, the actual monkey bar part is like the, you know, horizontal ladder mm-hmm. and she's up on the top, like bear crawling across the middle and she stops and I'm underneath it, you know, just walking there like this. Cause I'm afraid of falling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I usually say I'm afraid of heights, but I'm afraid of falling. And, and so I'm here like this underneath it, like trying not to make her afraid because I'm afraid. And she stops in the middle and pauses and she goes, dad. And I'm going, what's up, sweetie? And she goes, um, I just got really afraid. And I say to her, and I'm thinking like, if she fucking slips here and hits her teeth or her nose or her throat on, on one of those little fucking you know uh, steel uh, uh, beams she's going to be a mess holy shit and i can't reach her she's too high so i say to her she goes dad i just got really afraid i say it's okay just relax right now i want you to lower yourself down like you're going to do a push up but just come down and lie across the ladder and relax and then you'll put your legs through and 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 i'll help you down you're fine you're safe and she looks at me and she goes Oh, I don't want to get down. I just wanted to tell you that I was afraid. And then she continues to, and I was like, I was like, oh, I saw like unicorns and <laughs> angels. And I was like, when she got down she was like seven or eight, like, I said, Hey, how much for a private lesson? Like what the fuck did you do there? Right? Like that was amazing. And and I want to tie this, I want to tie this something to your audience because this is my, this was my epiphany when I came up with the idea for a no fear seminar, spelled K N O W is that if you know, we got our comfort zone around our comfort zone is our discomfort zone around our discomfort zone is our holy shit zone. Right. And that could be, I'm okay with 55 pounds, but I'm not okay with 56 pounds. Cause somebody said, don't do 56. And then you come in and you go, Hey, listen, try this. And if this feels good and do this and Oh, guess what? You weren't recruiting your muscles properly. Cause you hadn't been taught this. I'm going to 10 X your fucking strength here just by changing your feet or your grip, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, like I never knew what the hook grip was. Right. And I've been lifting weights for years. And then someone says to me, why aren't you using hook grip? And I'm like, what's that? And then they showed it to me. I'm like, you assholes. How come no, like it just changes shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like finger splayed outside 90. It just changes things when you understand muscle recruitment and and a little bit of kinesiology. And so th- this, this idea. So now our comfort zone be- our discomfort zone becomes our comfort zone. Things expand and expand. And so without being cavalier about fear, because the, the experiment, it's almost like what you said early that someone's going to tell you something and you're going to contemplate it, weigh and consider it experiment integrate it a little bit for a month. And, you know, I get stuff like, like, you know, someone will say, Hey, you should, uh, every morning I want you to drink this much water with some salt, with some lemon. I like, a, like I do that and I don't feel good. And I go, well, my body's telling me this is not the right dose or this is too much or there's, it's just, we, we need, I call it the three eyes in our class, instincts, intuition equals intelligence. Intelligence doesn't happen first. Like memorizing someone else's game plan doesn't make you intelligent. No. And, and, and so at the end of the day, our body is smarter. Our mind is smarter. And so I call it the three eyes, intuition and instincts. And if you blend that together, and you do something and you kind of assess it that becomes wisdom and that's intelligent. And so the, 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 the trick to, it's not overcoming fear, it's managing fear because there will always be a a speed, a weight, a threat, a size, a risk that always will inspire some fear. But if it's some, if it's a choiceless choice, meaning we need to do this, the only way to do it is to manage your fear.
0: So, I love fear. And I say that in a tongue-in-cheek way. I hate fear. I fucking hate being afraid. But I've learned that fear, the presence of it, and the ability to deal with it is a really good way for me to get ahead. Because mm-hmm. the stress that comes with having fear no longer affects me the same way that it used to. And that enables me first mover opportunities. Right. So. For example, I'll look at a situation and be like, oh man, that's that's kind of scary. And then I instead of just saying, Oh my god, what's the worst case scenario? I ask myself, what's the worst case scenario? Okay. What would have to happen in order for that to occur? How can I avoid the first thing in that chain from happening? Miss that, how about the second one? Miss that, how about the third one? And that computation kind of happens in my head now fast right. and autonomically. So my daughter will get frustrated, right? She'll, she'll fall down and she's, she's scared. And what I taught her, well, let me take a step back. I never want my daughters to be dependent on anybody else for anything. You, we need other people in our lives, but I don't want them to be dependent on any one person for any one thing. So simple things like, daddy, I can't open this jar. Daddy, I can't get that thing off the table. I taught my daughter one day, I'm going to ask you what you can do. And when I ask you what you can do, I want you to say anything. I can do anything. So we've practiced that like a hundred times in bed. And I actually have one of my podcasts is me talking to my, at the time, three-year-old daughter about this. Nice. I love it. When, when she gets frustrated now, I'll say, what can you do? And she says, I can do anything, daddy. And everything changes. She, like yeah. her whole physiology changes.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Sometimes though, it doesn't work. And then the next thing I ask her is, what's going on? Are you scared? Like when she falls down and she hurts herself, I'm like, are you scared? Yes. And then what I try to do is teach her, what are you scared of? It hurts. Of course it hurts. What are you afraid that's going to do to you? And we rationalize the whole situation and it deescalates so fast. To the point that one day she was in dance class. And I'm the only dad, right? It's me and like 12 moms and the kids are in their ballet outfits. It's all girls. They're dancing. And my daughter slips. And I just taught her sometimes when you fall, you don't need to cry. So she slips. And I'm looking at her and she's looking at me and I'm calm. And she goes, she smiles and she goes, daddy. Now picture a three and a half year old. Daddy, I fell down. and I didn't cry. But my vagina hurts. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, Awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry for not crying, but. but get back yeah. To it.
1: Thank you, honey. You could just, it's the, yeah. the smile was good. Get back.
0: But so, so I love what yes, you said. That's, about, that's,
1: that's great, man.
0: Thank you. I, I love what you said about um, you can't look at what that thing might do to you and don't essentially the idea of don't give that thing power that it hasn't demonstrated that it has yet. You know, if you're right. going to get into a fight with somebody, if we're looking at it from a combat situation and you look at what's this guy going to do to me as opposed to what will I need to do to this guy in order to get out right. of the that situation, that's what's going to happen to you. That's what right. exactly what you think. So I like to tell people to, when they're setting goals, for example, think about the worst case scenario. Think about the obstacles on the way to your goal. Get really comfortable with what that would feel like and then think about how to overcome it ahead of the whole situation happening. What are your thoughts on that as a potential negative, where I'm giving power to something that's it's never going to be that bad?
1: Well, <laughs> I I love it. We 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 do something that's similar in in it's it's different, but it's a similar track where what we're talking about is is uh, like diluting emotions hold on you mm-hmm. by thinking more strategically. So you can't, you can't be lucid and strategic and emotional at the same time. Right. You know, so, so that's why when you see like an athlete who's in flow in the zone, you'll also never see like bug eye terror on their face. Right. You're right. And, and so you could see somebody, let's say he's waiting to do like a big lift or something, right? He's off the side, you can see some nervous twitching, he's breathing, he's doing some stuff. But when he when he sets up on the bar, like like the person who under, has self-awareness, they transform, right? And you can see that in a public speaker, you can see that in an actor, you know, uh, whether you love or hate Mike Tyson, he used to throw up backstage before he'd come out to fight. He was so nervous. But you would never know that when you saw him Walking to the ring, you'd like, holy shit, he looks like he wants to kill somebody. But he just puked from fear. Uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier threw up backstage before he'd come on. So people's reactions to fear are very different. And what you're doing in the way we describe is, okay, you you, you start off a scenario, any scenario, and you're like going, man, I'm going to fuck things up today. And, And then a stimulus gets introduced. And you're like, oh, fuck. And your state changes, your physiology changes. In 1993, I wrote an article for the law enforcement world called the theory of presumed compliance. And this is like, decades before uh like mri research and neuroscience and myelinization and neurotransmitters and understanding you know how you do you, know, you remember
0: uh, what year it was i feel like you, you've written dozens of yeah. articles how do you remember what year that article was written uh
1: because it was the first year that i was invited to the ASLET conference as american society of law enforcement trainers okay. and it was a pinnacle year uh be, because the guy who was the chairman at the time after my talk sat down and went, wow, that just blew my mind. And you know, I've been training for 20 years and teaching cops and you said stuff and you know about reactionary gap and this and that. And like, where do you get this stuff from? I said, well, your problem is that what you know, what I would like to call the theory of presumed compliance, you guys move in to these confrontations. You think just cause you have a badge and a uniform on the bad guy's not going to punch you in the face or grab your gun. <laughs> and he right. and he's, and he says to me, The theory of presumed compliance. What is that? I've never heard that term. I said, well, it's because I just made it up. Now you guys don't have a term called the theory of presumed compliance. He goes, no. I go, okay, cool. You know, he goes, would you write an article on that? And it was 1993 at the ASLAT thing. So I always remember the date because it became this big thing in in the, in in the law enforcement world, but it applies, it applies to parenting too. Like I say to my kid, Hey, when's the last time you took a shower? I don't know. Okay. What I'm really saying is take a shower
0: right <laughs> hey,
1: your room, hey your room's kind of like a zone yeah yeah it's pretty messy dad well what i'm really saying is clean your room okay no what i'm saying is clean your room now oh do i have to, like w- w- like as parents we presume compliance just because we hint yep hey you know uh are you were you driving drunk sir no i'm i'm actually saying you're under arrest like like i'm just trying to be polite and so this if we we extend this the theory of presumed compliance applies to everything and it's kind of a a, 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 you know an odd tangent for me to be on but i'm trying to be holistic with everything and it's it's in, in the article the theory of presumed compliance i wrote this and this was the connection between before all the art of breath and Wim Hof, and 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 I didn't invent breathing. I'm not saying that, right? I mean, go, go back to <laughs> yoga, yogi traditions, yogic traditions, and 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 chi and ki and, and all. Is I wrote a line in the first, I think it was in the second paragraph. I said how you think affects how you feel, how you feel affects how you think, both influence how you move and it's kind of deep for back then because it was this connection in a type a community saying our emotions influence our ruminations and that's going to change how you move Uh, and this is tied to everything we do because the stimulus triggers the fear the fear changes our breathing, our breathing changes our physiology or our physiology changes our breathing that changes the flow of oxygen in the brain and now executive function starts to fucking diminish, and we're in our reactive brain limbic system amygdala, everything starts to like shut down and we 're like okay, and now suddenly i'm in this sympathetic fight or flight and and I, I could be a cop hitting somebody I could be uh, 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 somebody who has to jump away from like a moving vehicle, like uh, you know, crossing the street and they lock down, they get that freeze response and we don't want any of that. And so the relationship to all of this is the more we understand, that's why I call it the neural circuitry of fear. I don't care about the biology of fear or the physiology of fear. I care about the psychology of fear because it's only the voice in our head that says, Hey, you know, you're going to pass out if you don't start breathing. You better take a deep breath and relax. it's only the voice in our head that says I better call 911 or I better run now or I better pick up that improvised weapon. So to go back to what you're asking about, like, Hey, when you, when you, when you ask somebody, okay, you got a fear spike, something's happening. What's the worst thing that could happen here? Well, how would that even happen? And if that doesn't happen, how would that, what you've actually done is like, if somebody's hyperventilating and you give them a, a paper bag to breathe into, does that change? They're hyperventilating. Like, does a paper bag like is that like like some like multi-million dollar apparatus that that fixes physiology? No. What it is, it's a meta medi- it's it's a trick to get them to meditate on just breathing. Inhale and exhale. Right? It's you know, it's 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 like your daughter's crying and you go, Hey, and you snap your fingers, look at me, listen to me. What did I and you've distracted her for a moment mm-hmm. and she gets her takes a a natural, takes a a deep breath, parasympathetic starts to sit in, she's communicating. So what you're doing when you do that is you're shifting somebody from an emotional fixation on I'm going to die or I'm going to lose, or this isn't going to work out to uh, possibilities and probabilities. And that's now shifting their brain back from, you know, the reptilian brain, the fight or flight brain into this executive function. I'm starting to think, and it's, it's, I mean, it's magic. It's, it's really what it is. It changes, it changes our state. But to me, when I feel the onion with anybody, it all comes back to my relationship with fear because you can take me somewhere and then I go, that all makes sense. And now I'm back to like the guy we made fun of an hour ago, the contrarian. Right. Where I go, that's all fine and dandy, but you know, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty sure that this scar tissue isn't going to go away. Okay. So you get to be right about not healing. Right. So.
0: Right. It's you, you need, sometimes you need to assume that you're wrong so that you can win. Right. And, we, and it, go ahead. We, we had a client one time early in our company's development who reaches out. He was a CrossFit games athlete. So for me at the time, I'm like, wow, a games athlete. And You know, he's like, I get knee pain. I've had knee pain ever since squatting at the games, like seven months ago. And I haven't squatted since. And I'm like, all right, go ahead and sit on your heels for me, please. And he did it. I'm like, any pain? He's like, no. I'm like, can you just now stand up? I'm like, any pain? He's like, no. I'm like, okay, you you definitely just went through a squat pattern. And you didn't have any pain with it. You've had an MRI. There's nothing found on it. Tomorrow, I want you to find a 20 rep max front squat. And he was like, what? What? I want you to find a 20 rep max front squat tomorrow. He's like, dude, I just told you I have pain when I squat. So I haven't squatted in seven months. And I said, no, what you told me is that seven months ago when you squatted, you had pain and now you're afraid to squat. So tomorrow I want you to find a 20 rep max front squat. And here's the good news. If you're right and it hurts you so bad, you haven't paid me anything yet. You don't have to hire me. But if you do your 20 rep max front squat tomorrow and you get the result that I think you're going to get, you need to hire me. So you know, all that uncertainty of is this going to work or not is gone in 20 reps. Calls me the next day. He's like, "You're not going to believe this. It didn't hurt at all." I'm like, "Actually, I do." And he hasn't had uh, any has no yeah. pain since. Right. Like, that's
1: fantastic. Yeah. What, what's that? No, I said that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't 20 squats. Didn't save him. It was, he didn't need 20 squats to get out of knee pain. He needed to recognize that discomfort and pain and injury are not all the same thing.
1: Right. You know, what's interesting about that is uh, you, of course, have heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So I coined something a few years ago in in one of our tactical conferences, uh, uh, conferences. I said, I said, does everyone know what PTSD is? And they're like, yeah. I said, well, what is it? And they said, post-traumatic stress disorder. I said, well, did you know there's another PTSD? And they were like, no, what? I said, pre-traumatic stress disorder. And they're like, oh, what's that? That's when you're afraid that this is going to happen again. Or and, and, and so it's an interesting, what he was suffering from was what I would call pre-traumatic stress disorder caused by, and I had a guy, Todd Thompson, he's a, a firefighter down in, uh, I think he's in is he in Georgia, Florida? I can't remember now. Uh, sorry, Todd. Uh, but he he had uh, he was at uh, at one of my self defense seminars. We're going over the fear stuff, and he had an injury where he caught a clean, one hundred and ninety five pound clean uh, too far out in front, and tried to save it and wrecked both his wrists. And uh, it was eighteen months before he could lift again, and he could never clean past one ninety five even though he had range of motion, everything back. And he's sitting in the seminar. He goes through the fear block and it usually happens before lunch. And, uh, I haven't, I didn't even know him. So this is how, this is how potent this shit is. Everyone listen carefully to this and I'll give you his, I'll, I'll give you his his cell number. No, I won't. But but there's actually an article on him and I can put you in touch with him because this is going to sound like bullshit. So I didn't even have, a conversation with him. He was sitting in a class of thirty other people. Goes through the fear block. At lunch, you know, half the group goes out to eat—Whole Foods, avocado, chicken—you know the deal, right? I'm there. I'm like eating crap, uh, you know. And and then half the group goes and works out. About forty-five minutes into that, I hear this yelp scream like somebody won the lottery. And he drops weight and comes running over to me. He had just done, I think it was 205. Uh, And he goes, 18 months ago, I injured my wrists. And anytime I got to 195, that was as far as I could go. And I realized listening to you talking about fear that I was lifting in the fear loop. And that anytime I got there, it was like part of my brain was going, this is the weight that almost ended your career. That changed your enjoyment of lifting, your fitness, and I was so afraid of that. He was—he created a pre-traumatic justice order, building up to this. Is as so far as I can go. This is this is like the girl that you said fifty-five is my is my max weight. So, everyone listening to this show from from from, you know, what both of us are saying is like mindset is everything. That. But it's we can't just have like the no fear shirt or a t-shirt that says mindset or everything because that'll only get you so far. You got to go a little bit deeper. Sometimes you need a coach. Sometimes you need a mentor. My whole thing is how do we uh, learn to coach ourselves? What's the conversation we have to have inside? And to have that conversation and make it be safe and scientific, you've got to know a little bit about how the mind works and so on and so forth.
0: I think we can't coach ourselves until we've been coached to coach ourselves. And early on, you were talking about you now are more training trainers. And one of my first coaches, business coaches and development coaches, he said, great leaders don't develop great people. Great leaders develop great people who can develop great people. And that's, that's a major, major, major shift. And you training trainers, that's the whole point. Right? So I think that if you anticipate anyone listening to this, the proverbial, you anticipate, okay, I can now go out and train myself with this knowledge. Maybe you can. There's probably a sliver of a percent of people who listen to this who can internalize it, apply it, and be it. The rest of you, you need to be coached on it at least once. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. So that being said, you're coming to Brooklyn, which is near me, you do these seminars all over the place, right?
1: Yeah. So just the world, wait. just the right now, just the world. Nothing in outer space.
0: Oh ah, well, then you're missing out. Right. But you know, you'll never help Arnold Schwarzenegger on Mars. How right. can how can people find them, and how can people find you?
1: Um, I post a lot to Instagram. I post a lot to Facebook. I hate social media, but it's the and I, and I just say that just cause there's so much garbage and noise on there, but, but I'm on there cause it, the internet allows us all to connect with people all over the world. And, uh, so if you're, if you love Instagram, just go to Tony Blower on Instagram or spear dot system on Instagram, S P E A R. And then this, the same stuff on, on Facebook, my website is Blower spear and our courses are listed on there. And, uh, um, you know, we just, we do stuff all over. And I want actually want to piggyback on what you said about, you know, you, you probably can't figure this out yourself. Um, I'm still figuring out shit and it's been 40 years. So initially I was going to disagree with you, but then I understood where you were going, where you could, you, you, the, the adjustment made it clear to me, you need to hear it just once. Sometimes I, I got an email from this guy, Glenn Sunshine, who I've never met who um, uh, sent me an email several years ago saying, Hey, I just wanted to thank you for helping me raise my children. And he goes on to continue. And it's the most amazing email I've ever gotten because he bought an audio tape that I came out with in nineties called cerebral self-defense, the mental edge. And it was all my ruminations, thoughts, you know, uh, ideas on, on fear management, performance psychology. And, uh, yeah, and and uh, the whole thing is interesting because I go to tell people there's no such thing as peak performance is only performance enhancement. If I peak today, then what am I doing tomorrow? Why am I training? Or am I peaking every day? But then that doesn't make any sense. And of course, it's a play on words. But what I'm talking about is. I've got to, I've got to excel tomorrow, but maybe I've got a flu or maybe I, I ran the day before and I'm sore, but something comes up and now I need to run to save somebody's life. If I'm running going, well, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that marathon. Am I running as fast as I can? Right? And so what it was, was trying to identify negative thought that produced a fear response that weighed me down. Again, it was this intuitive Uh, um, uh, uh, deep dive into understanding the psychology of fear and not giving a shit about the biology or physiology. All that to mean that there are scary things we got to do with an adrenaline dump, with our heart racing shallow breath, but we still need to do them. And so I agree with you that you need to hear this stuff once. And this this email from this guy, he said never met him. He goes I listened to that over and over again. And then while I was raising my families, like just like you're doing he said, I started teaching my son and my daughter how to look at fear. And now they're grown up. They're in there. Uh, you know, one's 27, one's 31. They are so different than their peers in how they handle confrontations in life. And he said, it occurred to me that I need to thank you. Cause you helped me raise my kids. And I was like, I got goosebumps right now thinking about that. Like what a crazy letter for a self-defense expert to right. get right. It's cool. That's the impact. It's amazing.
0: Well, the, 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 the take home is self-defense starts between your ears, not between your legs.
1: Yeah. And I, listen, I, you know, I believe that the ability to protect yourself or a loved one is an arguably the single most important skill you could possess that no matter how successful you have materialistic, emotional, psychological wealth, you can't afford to be attacked. So your business is doing great. You're expanding all over the world. I say to you, Hey man, uh, frig, like you're going to become a billion dollar company, but I'm going to take away your family right now you know, that you would trade that is you'd go, no, 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 I don't give a fuck about, you know, this commercial success. I don't touch my kids. Don't touch my right. And it gets really personal. And so what I use as a bias, just because I've been in self-defense for so long is I use the art and science of understanding personal defense and how to handle myself in the scariest confrontation I can have as a way to self-actualize my understanding of fear and looking at confrontations. And then to apply that to relationships and business, <clears throat> right? So none of none of none of that all matters. So that's that's where they all tie together.
0: It's directly relevant. Yeah, I mean, I, I could I could talk about that for ages. But our our workshop is not a fear workshop. That being said, when we do workshops, we talk about communication. We talk about the fear that the person you're talking to has that you right. need to recognize. Right. because they're not going to get over that fear by you saying no you can do this they're like right you don't understand dude I'm fucking terrified <laughs> you need to be able to give them the confidence that they can do well
1: up. this is ironically this is one of the things in our in our trainer development co- course when I, I, I and I said it earlier technician trainer coach that most people who have the coach embroidered on their shirt they're actually trainers mm-hmm. they don't understand. You know, if I got somebody who's, who's, who's striking out or screwing up in tennis or, you know, uh, can't get up on stage and make a speech, it's not because he doesn't know how to talk. It's not because he can't memorize the speech. It's not because he doesn't understand the swing. Something's in his head now that is interfering. And that's why I say it's not peak performance. It's performance enhancement and performance enhancements is, is directly linked to what exactly are you thinking right now about yourself, about your ability, about your skill. And there's, there's an art and a science to the art is, is the approach. The science is understanding the mechanisms. Um, Inside, and we come back to what you said is, is I have had like, like, a and that's why I brought up the guy Glenn. Is and I actually interview him, it's an amazing interview on my, on my podcast, uh, the No Fear podcast. Uh, because I was so blown away by the email, I said, I gotta talk to you. I've never, I'm on the Eric we've never even spoken, and you sent me an email saying, Hey, thanks for raising my kids. So, everyone listening to this, you know, if you're a serious coach, trainer, uh, uh then probably getting to a course and really getting deep into this because it's part of your, your, your success is going to be going to be tied to how you inspire your clients, your athletes.
0: Yeah. I I don't want to come to a course because I don't want to be afraid when someone attacks me in the street, I'm already pretty comfortable. If somebody attacks me in the street, I might get my ass kicked, but they're going to know they attacked me. Right. Um, I want to come because there are situations in my business that I know I need to unlock things that I don't even know are locked.
1: Yeah. Well, we do a, a seminar called no fear, which has nothing to right. do with the physical. And, and for those of you, I'm not teaching people how to fight. I'm teaching them how to not fight. I'm teaching about situational awareness and self-awareness, verbal deescalation. And, and you know, I'm, I am 30, 40 years past the, what are you looking at, man? You know, like, <laughs> right? Like that's all bullshit. And we live in a, in a world today, I'm not just talking about how litigious and pussified the world is. I'm just talking about like people are fucking crazy. When I grew up, the most dangerous guy in this in school was somebody you heard had kicked somebody in the balls once in a fight, but there, no one saw it and everyone was afraid of that guy. These days, you know, people come back to school with fucking guns and fucking mm-hmm. like crazy shit. So we need to not be afraid of the fear, but learn how to de-escalate, avoid, and most importantly, how to develop the pre-contact cue awareness going, "There's something wrong here and trust that and have the courage to move away, not the courage to engage. So yeah, two types of courage there, but anyhow, that's it. another talk.
0: There's many talks. Uh I'll be out in your hood sometime soon. Maybe we'll link up. Have another one of those talks over some coffee. Let's do that, man. All right. Tony, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing some wisdom with people. Thank you. This was a blast. My pleasure. That's a wrap for another Active Life podcast, guys. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you're going to wherever you listen to podcasts and leaving us a five-star rating and a review. We want to grow this thing. We want to change the world. It's not about movement. It is a movement. Please help us out with that. Remember, until next time, turn pro.